Welcome to Connecting Greeks, a streaming comedy show and podcast designed to explore and enhance Greek culture around the world. Join hosts Angelo, Adi, and Foti as they bring you fun and interesting guests from all walks of Greek life. Grab a cafedaki and join us. Hey everyone, thanks for joining us on another awesome episode of Connecting Greeks. I am Ari Kalos. I am actually Boston, Massachusetts right now. I'm usually seen, but I'm here in the, the, the home turf. And Foti Stamos is here too, and he's in... Where are you, Foti? I'm in Boston as well. Yeah, but not really. Where are you really at? Oh, jeez. That's you're like, like you're, you're like the North Shore. For people who don't know, that's a little bit north of Boston. I'm on the uh, witness protection program, so I can't see where exactly I'm at. I, I've already said too much. I'm sorry. Oh, and over on the West Coast is the man, Angelo Sarujas. What's up, Angelo? Hey, guys. How's it going? How are you Welcome. doing? Good, good. Yourselves? It's uh, like another week. I'm surprised we're still doing this. <laughs> uh, connecting Greeks. Uh, it should be called the Skotothume Greeks. Because normally when Greeks get together and say they're going to do something, yeah, it sounds like a good idea. And then everybody wants to be the boss. So it's it's so it's so it's so funny how we were we've able we've been able to manage it. And I think the good thing is that you're in Boston, I'm in LA, so I think uh it's easier to manage, but we've had a lot of fun. We, listen, we kid around, and that's part of the show. But we've had a lot of fun, and we've, we've ha- actually had some interesting guests. You know? Oh, yeah. And, we've had some uh, great guests. I have guests. to admit, the, the feedback's been great. The feedback's been great. We're going to run out of guests. I hope you know that. We're gonna I don't in, think we're gonna so, Angelo. People, uh, you there's, know? There's, there's 11 million Greeks. And no, no, we're we going to run we out. We've got a way to go. we got a ways to go. <laughs> we're going to hit each and every Greek. Well, there's 11 the million in Greece. <laughs> There's 11 million in Greece and another 12 in the world, but we're going to be running out of the same. We're going to be this is this is a Donny from Omega Diner. I put the secret base inside the Omega. This and that, and uh, you know, I leave Greece. Uh, I'll tell you right now, those are going to be the best episodes we have. I'm telling. Oh, you. Hilarious, hilarious. <laughs> but but we have a well, we we have a special guest who's a friend and. Uh, I, I met him years ago through you and Forty, actually, yeah. uh, and uh, he's in Boston. Uh, he, I, I know that he wrote a book with Forty called At the Greek Table, which is about two kids growing up and getting fapas all the time for not <laughs> eating what they're supposed to be eating. No, it's uh, Paul is a chef, Forty is a sommelier or a wine connoisseur. Uh, uh, that's what Forti does. He used to be a male exotic dancer in uh, Larissa, but that didn't work <laughs> out for him. So, uh, and then, and, and he also, uh, Paul, uh, our guest also, and, and, and I'm going to bring this up guys. Also his family runs one, I think one of the best donut and coffee shops in the world. Uh, when you guys took me there, I was like, wow. So, Let's bring on our guest today from Boston, the very uh, infamous but very, very nice uh, Paul Delios. All right. He Let's should be popping Paul. in momentarily. He'll be popping in soon. There he is. Hello. My man. Hey, Paul. Hey, Angelo, how you doing? Hey, did, you know, did you know that Forty goes around telling everybody he's John Stamos' cousin? Yeah, I know, I know, because Forty's a pathological liar. <laughs> he tells everybody. My my yeah, cousin yeah. John Stamos is, is is on TV. 
I know, and I was engaged to Jennifer uh, Aniston. So there you go. It's his family, Ange. Whatever. You know, Greeks do that, eh, Paul? We're all descendants. I have these people in Sparty who are descendants of Leonida. Uh, the, uh, Sparta. And oh, when yes. you go north, and when you go north, they all everybody. Have you heard these guys who think they're descendants of uh, Alexander the Great? Well, and yeah. they actually, <laughs> no, I'm serious. They they go, you know, in a, you know, from Alexander the Great, uh, so um, lineage, you know, and I mean, it's like you know, the guy's selling nuts at a corner in Cincinnati, but he's lineage of Alexander <laughs> the Great. Awesome. So it doesn't it doesn't matter. But welcome, well, t- uh, Paul. Welcome to Connecting Greeks, Paul. Oh, We're happy to have you on. Thank you for having me on. How's everything out on the left coast? Well, uh, on the left coast, it's left. Uh, we're not going to – you know, people ask me, is there any comedy on TV? Okay, Paul? There is comedy on TV. It's called the presidential debates because I yeah. – it was like watching the Muppets. You know those two old guys in the Muppets I on the balcony? It was watching them live last night. Because I think Biden <laughs> and Trump were both malakis last night. <laughs> they, even on the Greek show, we don't cut each other off that much. Right. right? Well, uh, yeah, that, that seems to me to be a little bit one-sided, but yeah. No, but it was, it was, it was it, guys, it, it's supposed, it just goes to show you, without a live audience, those presidential debates are hard to gauge. Without a live audience, it's difficult. It's the same as comedy. Uh, you know, they're they're just in a studio yelling at each other. Yeah. If I if I want to see two old guys yell at each other, I'll go home for Pasca. <laughs> you know, I'll just go there for Pasca. <laughs> we don't need the presidential debates. We're Greek. You just watch people argue with each other. So Paul, so so Paul, look, this 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 is a very Boston thing. I want to just talk a little bit when I first met you. Um, uh, we were at that uh, steam bath place in North Boston, all <laughs> and, and uh, I'm sure no, took we, you there. Uh, uh, no, uh, we were. Uh, you know, you came up to me. I'll never forget the first thing you said to me. I was heavier, and you came up to me. I forget what you we've done. You looked at me. You go, "You've struggled with weight most of your life, right?" I go, "I have." He goes, "So have I." That was our connection. I'll never forget it because we come from families or calofagadas, which are good eaters. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. and, and, and you know when you and we we our taste buds are like uh, if there's 2020 vision we're 40 80 taste buds because <laughs> we like food. <laughs> right? And then yeah. and then you know I have to say and we're going to get to everything you you've done Paul cuz I know you've been doing a show and you wrote a nice book with Forty uh, at the Greek table which pairs we're going to talk about that here too. But I just want to get to the point where this is what happened. Your your family owns a place called Kane's Donuts, which I call Kane's Donuts. <laughs> now, I did a top 10 list, and I got a lot of shit for it. I did a top 10. One day, I just decided to do Angelo's top 10 food list of things. What was happening, I was missing things. And I was craving egg rolls, fish and chips, pizza, burgers. And Kane's Donuts got into the top 10 list because not only do you guys make these fantastic donuts, you gave me a coffee cake. Now, <clears throat> and I want to get to it. I don't know if it's in your book. That coffee cake, arguably the best coffee cake I've ever had. And you guys make it. It's a family yeah. recipe. So much when I flew United Airlines from Boston to L.A., I was sitting in business class. And the woman saw me putting them up there in business. Mm-hmm. And she goes, she was a, it was a Boston crew. She was that Cane's Donuts. I go, yeah, I <laughs> had donuts. Because Paul gave me, 
about six coffee cakes and two big boxes you gave me to take it back to LA. Yeah. So the girl says, I said, it's a coffee cake. It's so good. I said to her, is it okay? Because they were smelling it. Do you want me to take one and we'll cut it up in uh, in a business class on United? Get to Copanis on it. It was so good. I wanted some. So it was only for them. And she said, the people, in for, they were like, and I thought, here's how I want to start this off. And we're going to get to everything you've done, Paul, because I know you've been doing a lot of stuff lately. Is that a dying thing now? Those old family recipes, the, the, the family-run business. Are we headed towards a generation where people will never understand how good things are? In your opinion, and I'm going to ask you, Fortienati, are we headed in a direction where people are going to, it's just going to be factory-made food? Is that, is that, do you I, think it's happening? What do you I, think? Be, I believe that's where we were headed, Angelo and, and Fortienari. Um, I believe that's where we were headed, but I think now um, with people uh, being out of work and looking to start up small businesses to sustain their families, I think that you, you're seeing people go back into the, the small diners, eateries, donut shops, bakeries, because uh, that's something that everybody loves. Everybody can relate to food. Um, you know, we say don't, but food is love. And I, and I think people can take their passion and bring that forward into, into, uh, into the food business. I also believe that, um, you know, now I see even in the Boston area, there's a couple of other artisan donut shops that have opened up and, Okay, gravitating towards that rather than the big chain places. The big well, uh, places are uh, uh, gravitating more towards profit and not and not so much the the uh, the love of food. Uh, and they've managed to put out of business a lot of the little artisan places over the years. And now you're seeing there's room in the marketplace for people to open up new businesses. So now you're starting to see a resurgence of. Of, of donut shops and of bakeries because, let's face it, you can't go to the supermarket and a nice handcrafted loaf of bread like you used to be able to. You can't get that hand-tossed pizza like you used to be able to get right. uh, the same way because the, the grocery stores are making these mass-produced things and they're putting them out on the market. But now you're seeing a lot of little artisan places opening up and they're doing this type of good work out there. I, I, I like where your heart is at, but the, the problem that I see is yeah. with the donut shops and the bakery, I think it's a little more realistic with, with straight-up restaurants, diners, stuff like that. I think what's going on now with, with you know, uh, back in the day, my dad had a pizza place, and he bought, like, three houses. I had a pizza place for a few years, and I, like, barely was skimming by, like, trying to pay my bills. And it's, like, one of those things where – it, it almost feels like we're going to a point where you can't afford to do this stuff anymore and only the big chains will survive. Maybe the donut shops and bakeries might be a different story, but it's like, I, I just, I love to think of small business conquering in America, but I think America's changed in a, in a, a way that like small business, it's just, it, it's not feasible. It's, it's just, it doesn't seem feasible anymore to me. And if you guys want to chime in on that, please do. Well, first, our, uh, first of all, Ari, uh, how come you're not live? I see your picture of you 30 years ago when you were at your prom. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought There's you guys no were seeing me. Uh, no, just, am I right, guys? It's just a picture yeah. of you. I can, I can hear you. And oh, that picture was taken that is, when you were, in the, you were part of Backstreet Boys or something. I don't see Ari talking. On, on my screen, I see me live. No. Well, well no, I see the Backstreet Boy, Ari. 
Yeah, Backstreet Boy Ari. Backstreet Boy Ari. Am I right, guys? Backstreet Boy Ari. Yeah. All right, let me... uh, I see Professor Stamos, I see Angelo, and I see Backstreet Ari. Backstreet Ari, right? Right? (laughs) We we see Backstreet Ari on this one. And, no, but but let me ask you, though, Paul, Dane's Donuts, how long has it been in business? 65 years this year. There you go. Okay, so I'm going to stop you right there. I'm going to bet it's the same situation I've seen over and over again. You've had generations of people as clients. Correct. Great, great grandparents who bring their kids, who are going to bring their kids. I do it with my kid. In Toronto, there's a place called Square Boy Hamburgers. It's been there 60 years. Yeah. Across the street, they open one of those artisan burger joints called The Works. And the guy was telling me how, and there they have, you know, the typical Greek souvlaki in a bun, burger, fries, onion rings, and fries with gravy. Everybody loves that. (laughs) And what happened, Paul, the guy goes to me, the place across the street will close this place. I go, no, it won't. Because people that go to Square Boys, people that go to Cane's Donuts, are going to go there regardless of who opens it. You can't, you can't beat the quality and you can't beat the consistency. There's a reason you guys are there and in business with a few locations and thriving is because quality at the end of the day speaks over quantity or hype. Can I, add I truly exactly. believe it. I, I truly believe that. Yeah, well, well, if I can add to what you're saying, Angel, the other determining factor is also service. The right. non-pop joints are always heavily involved and engaged to make sure that the customer experience is good. Where I think that's where a lot of the chains and the um, mainstream uh, concepts well, fail. With they the, try. With, with, yeah, with the actual customer experience. So the, the customer service, like establishments like Keynes or Square Boy Burgers, is that they know the name of every customer that walks through the doors. They get involved with the lives of their customers. That alone, that hospitality, you can't teach that. It's something well, that they, comes within. It comes down to something real basic that we all grew up with being Greeks. It's philoxenia. Yeah. It, comes, uh, that's true. it comes down to philoxenia, but it also comes down to, in, in my business, it comes down to using fresh local ingredients no matter if I was in Toronto, I'd be sourcing out the local beekeeper in Toronto. I'd be sourcing out the local dairy, and you know the the guy that's producing organic eggs, whoever's milling the flour. It comes down to using fresh and local ingredients whenever possible. You know, I had an Italian restaurant years ago, and in the first year, you know, your money's tight, so I was using you know the basic generic oil, let's say for example. Uh, the, the regular butter that you could get at the supermarket and, and things like that and regular chicken. Well, short while after that, I flipped over to using extra virgin olive. I started using the best of the best organic chicken, Bell and Evans chicken before people even knew what the hell it was. Um, all of these things, they started instituting changes. Next thing I know, I have three and a half hour waits out the door. Right. Every right. night. So my point is, you know, and I know Ari had a pizza place and, 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 you know, and he was doing a nice little business over there, in my opinion. He only knows because I didn't see his books or any of that kind of stuff. But my point being is the guys that are opening up pizza places now, the guys that are opening up sandwich shops and small little restaurants, you forget about the big restaurants. They're dead right now with this COVID. They're dead. But the small shops, if you're putting the best quality product out there right now and you're doing it from an artisan standpoint, you're hand-tossing the pizza. You're yep. mixing the dough by hand. You're doing everything from scratch the old-fashioned way that they would have done it 100 years ago. You will 
stand out uh, amongst the crowd. But, but, again, you guys didn't really address what I was talking about. And my point is, if all this stuff is shutting down and everybody starts going artisan, then what stands out when there's a thousand artisans? You, you'll stand out because everybody's going to say, Ari makes his pizza one way, Paul makes his pizza another way, Angelo makes yeah. his pizza another way. Look, at in New York City, there's, there's a gazillion pizza places in New York City. And they're all good. And they're all great. They're all doing – I went one day. I met my buddy Rich Gore down there. He used to be VP at the Food Network. So Rich and I go down there, and, and we're on a pizza quest that day. We had about 20 different individual-style pizzas from different places. And I got to tell you, they were all great. They were all different, but they were all great. And, and you don't necessarily have to worry about the competition. Worry about how good you are. Now, you know, you make an interesting point, and I, I see what Ari's saying because of COVID. This COVID thing, I mean, this is unprecedented, so it's not a fair comparison now because we're not at full steam. No, I, I mean, I'm talking, about this, I'm talking about this from a technology perspective. I'm a tech guy. I'm yeah. talking about this from years ago, way before COVID. It's just because credit cards, delivery fees, like all these fees, every, you can't blink in a restaurant without paying a fee. And it's like, they, it's right. kind of like killing small business. That's what I'm saying. Oh, no, but listen. You're afraid to charge more. Yeah, you got to charge more. Charge more. But, it, that's not, I, I, but that's not the solution to all the problems that you have. It's just, it's one of those things where no, I don't think, Hold on. I mean, hold on. Uh, Ari, Ari, it's simple mathematics. It really is. It's simple mathematics. You have to make a certain percentage. It's got to be your food costs. You have to have a certain percentage has got to be built in to be a profit margin, and yep. you have to fix it so that you you can you can make that profit margin. If you can't, lock the door and go out of business because you you can't afford to give things away for free either. And I think I, I charge I charge ten dollars for a hamburger, and they were selling like crazy. But I'm just saying, it's one of those things where in the eighties you can make a killing off this business. No, it's true. No, no, you cannot. Times. You cannot. Well, listen, guys, I'm going to tell you something right now. Here's the phenomenon with the millennial. Nobody, everybody, I don't know if it's like this in Boston. It is in L.A., and I know other places. This new generation does not want to go pick up their food. So they're using these food apps like Skip the Dishes and Grubhub and stuff. Now, look what these guys do. They give you a menu, right? So let's say you have a restaurant. There's a place here called Fat Sal's that makes sandwiches. The one I have, the Fat Sal's Hero, is $12. When you go on the Grubhub, app it's fifteen dollars right plus fees they add three dollars but it gets better three dollars plus delivery fee when you order the food through the app the restaurant also pays grubhub 30 percent yeah this is what i'm talking about this is what's killing everything right now i get it i get it now what's killing everything is laziness so nobody wants to go pick up their food and i i there's a guy this guy let's call him colopedo kid from the ass he's at the cigar shop i hang out at he wanted Arby's, okay, Ari? The Arby's order was $24. I swear to God. It was in Woodland Hills. We're in Studio City. By the time, it was $24. By the time the order got to him in Studio City for Arby's, got that roast beef sandwiches, $47.50 he paid. Almost double. And I said to him, if I knew you were going to pay $23.50 charges, I would have charged you $15. I would have went and got it myself. Yeah. But, they, no, but, they, no, but the problem is, is that, it's and what they're doing, and they're killing restaurants. Because even I know people that own restaurants are like, "Hey, if you use Grubhub or Skip the Dishes or Uber Eats, they get thirty percent. They add thirty percent, and you pay them service fee." And Angelo, on top of that, Angelo, 
you didn't mention the fact that at that point, the restaurant gives complete control of the service to these third-party delivery drivers. Of course, yeah. So what happens is if those guys or women deliver late, they mishandle the food, the food gets there shitty. It's not on Grubhub. It's on the restaurant. So then the yeah, restaurant always, always on the restaurant. Always. So, like, they're getting bombarded in all aspects of this experience. Well, let, let, Paul, let, let, me tell, let me tell you this. I, Grubhub used to force me to charge the same amount as my regular menu on their site. And you can't do that because you can't turn a profit with a 30%. So you know what I did? I built, because I'm a web guy, I built a fake website with fake prices and sent it to Grubhub. And I'm like, look, it's the same price for you and for me. And it was a totally fake site. And they're like, okay. And that's the only way I got through that. How many uh, restaurant owners can build fake websites to fake out Grubhub? Not like, now. It's like ridiculous. I'll call you now, Ari, now that you just mentioned that to help them do that. Well, now that every Greek heard, every Greek heard this now, Ari, you're yeah, going to get calls after. You're going to get a lot of business out yeah. Greek, Greek restaurant owners, call me. I'll hook you up with a fake website. <laughs> but, think of, but, but, Paul, let me ask you, Paul. It yeah. seems to me now there's more money in the operation of food than there is in the preparing it. Meaning, the, these are, I call them parasite apps. You know, these parasite apps just prey upon restaurants now. And a whole generation, and I agree with Ari. It's just like that now. I go to the, you know to get Chinese food at Green Apple here. It's great. We call them. My wife has OC, so she'll call either her or I will go pick it up. And we call directly. And they're like, you're one of the few people that will come here because we pick it up and bring it straight home and we know what we're eating. Because I'm thinking we're not working now anyway. What else do we have to do? But most people are so fucking lazy that they won't even do that. I'm going to tell you about lazy. <laughs> store in Boston. And some of these kids are living in the, the, you know, there's high rises all around it. Some of these kids are living in the building right next door. They will call Uber Eats and pick up a half a dozen donuts and bring it upstairs to them. Seriously. The next build, seriously. See, that's what I'm saying. You can't go, you lazy little shit. You can't walk downstairs. Part For me, it's fun to go to Kane's Donuts, pick up the ones I want. They hand it to you. They're such colopeda. And for people who aren't Greek, it's kid from the ass, okay? And I said it. They're such colopeda that they don't want to go pick it up. We're breeding laziness. I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit. I'm not saying that they're not lazy, and I'm sure there's lots of lazy. They are lazy. But it's a different generation. They just don't think it's worth going to pick up food. With When you grow up with technology, when technology is in your hand your whole life, it's not about being okay. lazy. It's about, hey. like, why am I going to go there? It's like, it, no, it, I disagree. It's, not, I disagree. it's not in their train of thought. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, but Ari, Ari, hold on. If the donut place is right next to your building, you're going to call Uber Eats to go get it for you to bring it upstairs? That's they just do. laziness. They do. I so, get you're saying, so you're saying 100% of these people are lazy? If they, you just can't. Not That's what's statistically possible. 98.5% <laughs> are freaking lazy. 98.5%. Generations change. Life moves on. People progress. Like, there's nothing you can do to stop it. You have to adapt as a business owner. And Hold this on, did is you what's say, happening. And it's killing business. I know Ari, it. I'm just saying. Ari, did you say life goes nobody, on or life nobody, goes on? Ari, nobody knows more about adapting than I do. Because believe me, in the COVID environment, I had to adapt like nobody's business. Right. And we were successful, and we've been successful at it because I had to adapt. 
you know, I, I immediately when it happened, I just happened to be redoing the website and I had the guys put online ordering in and, and it happened like 15th of March. And on the 17th, we were ready to go with the online ordering. And I had to make a major shift. I re redid all the facilities so it would accommodate people coming in and picking up and accommodate drivers coming and picking up. I had a shift. And that's the only reason why Keynes was able to weather the storm with this thing. This has been horrible for business. I had to do away with all my interior seating. I still haven't put it back in, even though they said you could put a little bit. I'm afraid they're going to shut us down again come the winter. Right. So I'm right. putting the interior seating in, and I'm pushing the issue for the online ordering. I'm pushing it because I want to continue that. Because until they turn around and say the whole country is going to be opened up completely, so, so what, what, if, what if you guys say online ordering is for lazy people? No, no, I didn't they say that. Pick up the <laughs> what I'm saying, I'm I'm saying that's, just, that's just like the next evolution. It's like you do online ordering, no, you do delivery, it. even if you're no, right no. next door. I get it. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that delivery has been around forever. But if the place is literally across the street and you're calling Uber to come and bring it from there to here, <clears throat> you're fucking lazy. That's what I'm saying to you. I'm not what saying it's for everybody. Angelo, home? next door. <laughs> what if they next were home Like next door. If they're next door, what are you doing? What are you doing? What if it's they okay. were home and they just needed something in their system? No, but you see, the thing is where people are getting fooled, Ari, and it, it, you're paying for a $10 hamburger, 22 bucks. But yep. see, it's not on the millennial. It's on Uber. It's on Grubhub. They're the oh, ones who's that are ripping the, 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 who's the using restaurant it? off. There. Yeah, there. You can't, you can't blame a millennial because he's getting a delivery. He's ordering from you. You should thank him. He's paying you have it. to say, Grubhub, what the hell, dude? It's razor-thin margins, and you guys are killing it. No, and then they're telling you, well, it's brilliant. Look, from a technology perspective, I want to invest in these companies. It's brilliant because all these malakas are paying 40 to 60% more for their food. That's what I'm saying. Instead of that we have cars, well, you know what? Order it online and go pick it up. I'm with you. I'm just saying it's not it's not so simple as saying these kids are lazy. It's it's a whole shift in how business is all, done now. Most of them. <laughs> I say most of them are lazy. Like I get lazy too. I'm saying not all of them. Most of them. I think Ari's upset because he does the same thing. No, Ari's still living uh, his Backstreet Boys uh, life in Boston. No, you can see you can see me but now. But... <laughs> <laughs> No man, I pick up. I pick up my food. I I, I don't I don't get delivery ever, and I, I I'm just trying. I it's like I love when when there's like it's always one sided because I'm always the type of guy who tries to see the bigger problem. And it's no, and I like, get it. I would I would go against Grubhub and Uber Eats and and tell them to lower their fees before I start complaining That's about ridiculous. kids being lazy and using the service. Well, it's the same in my business. Look at Live Nation. You buy a ticket for $100, they add $27 service fees. Yeah. So who's making horrible. that money? And, and, and what they do, but they monopolize. They buy the venue. They buy the, uh, the comedy clubs. They buy the auditoriums. They buy the theaters. They corner the market. And that, fato. This is what I'm saying. We have to look I at these it. corporations and be like, yo, you have to, like, do better because business can't survive paying your fees all I the agree. time. And it's a, well, we're agreeing now. See, Ari, we can hold hands through the garden and we can agree. And I think that's the thing I'm saying. But it's like, so I'm going to ask Paul. Paul, I'm going to ask you a serious question. What so, is the best-selling donut during COVID right now? Honey dip. <laughs> honey it's dip. always a best-selling donut. Honey right? dip. Is, 
It, it really it still is, is it? Yes, and you know, and people don't understand. This is something, and the reason why we call it honey dip, everybody around the country calls it glazed. Right. We call it honey because where's my father from? Greece. Greece, right. What did we use when we made the glaze? Honey. This, this stuff is tasteless. Put honey in it. My father, when we were kids growing up, we had 12 beehives in the backyard, and I used to help oh, wow. the honey. Okay. And we would put the honey in the donuts. Now I don't collect the honey, Amazing. but I buy from a local beekeeper. I buy about 15 gallons a week. Wow. So you get it all the time. So, Paul, let me ask you, because yeah. I had your Boston cream donut. Uh-huh. And let me, I mean, there's a reason. And uh, the bo- I'm a big, my fave, I'm going to ask Ari, and, uh, my fave was, your, like, I love, first of all, I want to make love to the coffee cake. <laughs> but at the same time, the Boston cream donut I had uh, was delish. And what about you guys, as Bostontonians, what's your favorite donuts? I got to say, growing up, I was really, really a big fan of French curlers. Okay. Wow. I was big back then. Ari? I, uh, I, uh, I was always just a chocolate, the, 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 choc- the, gla- the chocolate Ray's glaze. Ray's chocolate? Yeah. I think Ari used to like the marble curl. <laughs> I don't know what that is. <laughs> oh, what do you call them? You mean the chocolate on the on, – you know, you know what they call them in Canada? You know the, the, the honey cruller with a bit of chocolate on it? They call them muddy tires. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because they look like little tires. You know, Angelo is, is, is Tim Hortons uh, as big as what everybody keeps talking about? Massive. It's all massive. I ever hear about Canada is Tim Hortons. It's all. It's I ever hear. No, no, you understand? Hey, Tim Hortons is a cult for Canadians, yeah. and they've opened them. They've opened them now in the but no, but in Canada, it's something. It's I. I can't describe it. It's like there's crackers and coffee. That's the Dunkin' Donuts of Canada. Of Canada, yeah. But I, I think it's better than Dunkin' Donuts. Oh, my God. Dunkin's is horrible. I hate them. Sorry. You know, but I like, oh. I like Dunkin' Donuts. The donuts suck. But the coffee is good at Dunkin'. I like that donut shop coffee, you know? Now, Fluffy, Fluffy, call off that sponsorship we got from Dunkin's. Sorry. Oh, Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Paul, so now. tell us. Tell us how the uh, when you guys at, at the at the Greek table yeah. with uh, when you and Ari uh, when you oh, and Forty decided to put this together and I remember I was around that time. Sorry, you guys, you, we did a couple of festivals together if you yes, remember up in Jersey. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I, I Paul came to see my show, then I went to see Paul after, and we ran into each other a couple of times doing that. And um, how's the response? Do you find now is there been a resurgence for the book because a lot of people are at home now? Have you guys found online that there's more interest in it? Tell us about I, it. I, I've been getting, I've been getting, um, you know, messages from people on uh, Facebook um, that they that they discovered the book because now they're stuck home and they're cooking for them. And people love the ease of uh, of the uh, because we didn't right. complicate the recipes. We we uh, you know I, I tried to dummy them down as much as I could uh, because Greek food is very simplistic and and being in the restaurant we the the recipes up to a different level but then you know when you have to you know bring those recipes back down even though we have complexities in the restaurant you want to bring them back down so that the average person can make them at home so uh you know really simplify them again just like the book would be doing and 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 trying to keep them simple and easy also we put a couple of little vignettes in there so that people could uh, get a little bit of entertainment while they were going. But I wanted to touch on something else, Ian. Sure. Up in Toronto at a wedding. Right. Um, and we were staying up at the Thompson, my wife and I. And, okay, yeah. And I'm sitting at this Greek restaurant, and I see 
four guys at the next table, and we start talking. And these guys know you, and I don't know if you remember. We called you up on the phone that night. I think you did this a few I'm years like, ago, wasn't it? what a small it? world this is. Yeah, I get – it's weird. I, I Randomly, at different parts of the earth, my people know me or the name will come up, and I get these phone calls at 3 in the morning, 3 in the afternoon, and it's that, that's really connecting Greeks. And it's nice because they're fans or they've heard the comedy. But these uh, guys knew you. Personally. They knew me. And I think you were at, you're on Danforth, right? You're on Danforth yeah. Avenue. Oh, yeah. And I want to say you went to Mezes. I think it was Mezes. I think you were. It was a while ago. So I don't remember the exact name, but these guys oh, knew you intimately. That's funny. What a small world, isn't it? Is it? Well, that, well, this is why, that's why Paul, we call the, the guys named this Connecting Greeks. Because let's face it. If the world is six degrees of separation, we're about one and a half as Greeks, <laughs> right? I mean, there's True. a good chance now when you see anywhere you go, like uh, somebody, I've been fortunate because I get to travel a lot. So if I say to somebody, like I was talking about Adi and Forty the other day, and the guys in Detroit knew them through the guy in Chicago. You know what I mean? Like they're, <clears throat> it's funny how different people know each other from. Uh, and we may not know we may not know each other directly, Forty, right. but you know your Cubado's sister was married to my cousin's brother. You know, and then somehow they make the connection back. To right. you. That's why I never cheat with a Greek woman because chances are, <laughs> by the time I get home, everybody's going to know. <laughs> whatever you know. Oh. What? what are you talking about? Good points. Yeah, you're definitely right about that because. Through the years, we've bumped into so many people that you it it amazes you who you come across you're connected to. Yeah, and now with social media as well, it like gets an even smaller and smaller world. So, Paul, where's your family from in Greece? So, my dad's from Chios, and my mom's from from Mytilene. Okay, that's right. Because so you you got Chios uh, and Mytilene. Because you know my mom's from Mytilene, right? We we talked about that. <coughs> and so. Chios. I, I I have the lineage from Homa. I just wanted you to know that. Like the guy that was at Demo's Roast Beef, I have the lineage from, from Homa. He might be a Spartan. <laughs> That's right. No, because, you know, Helos is one of the unique worlds, uh, places in the world for Mastika. Yeah. That grows the one part of Helos. And I knew I know some Helotes here who actors, uh, Theo Pagonis, who's an actor and is a friend of mine, his family's from um, Helos. And my mom, you know, being from Tilini, we've I've been to Hio because we went with my uh, we we did with, with the ferry boat. We went to Hio and to Mitilini. So it's a nice part. When's the last time you were in Greece, Paul? Last time I was in Greece was in 2010. Okay, we so actually, ten years ago. Yeah, we actually were talking about going back this year, and unfortunately, uh, right know, with the travel, that's not happening because. Uh, you know, this is a special anniversary year for my wife and I, and, and we're talking about going back to the old village where the family's from. It's just not happening this year, so maybe next year if things... Maybe next year. Yeah. Now, Paul, there, there's a place I like here in uh, at Los Angeles called California. There's a few places that are that stand out. Randy's Donuts, yeah, California yeah. Donuts. You know, you've heard of them. They do a cronut. Do you guys have a cronut? We were making cronuts when they were big around here. The... Uh, the guy in New York started doing them, and, and he was making like 200 a day, and that was it. So we started making them, and a couple of the New Yorkers got wind of us making them. And we were making them on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So I have this one guy driving, down from, uh, driving up from New York, and he was ordering five dozen of them at a time. 
No shit. Yeah. And for me, I don't care. You want 60 cronuts? That's fine. I don't care. You know, at that time, I was getting like 350 a piece for him, and he was paying $5 each for him in New York City. So he was picking them up and reselling them. And I didn't. Unbelievable. He was doing it every weekend. And he was pulling them right out of the box. And, you know, we were doing. We were, we made a great cronut, but that phase has gone up and, and, and down. You know, it's people could care less now about the cronuts uh, out here because it's, you know, it, it was a phase. Isn't it? it go, it's funny because you have a croissant and a donut cronut, which is great, yeah. but it, it, it passed on. And, and in a time of COVID, and I've thought about this because now a lot of people, because, you know, a lot of people are battling uh, depression, sure. uh, economic issues. You know, I mean, uh, I, I haven't. I'm with my family. The good thing is, I'm off the road. I can spend time with my family. But now I'm at the point where going tomorrow is going to be October, and it's like we're going to Christmas. And then you start thinking, like you said, you you had to readjust, and, and live entertainment's going to be the last to go to work. But the thing I, I I'll say this: it's a guilty pleasure. But there's few things that give us comfort. And for me, maybe it's my Canadian background, but. Man, I got to tell you that, you know, uh, when I think of a Boston cream from Cane's or that girl I made out with 20 years ago, I can't remember <laughs> her name, with the big knockers, but it doesn't matter. Do you, you find that a lot of people, <clears throat> is there, I sense there's, I get happy when I go to pick up. Do you notice when people come to pick up things, you see smiles on their faces? I Are do. they happy? I do. Even though, like, you know, in Boston, I don't know it's probably amongst the uh, expensive group. Like I said, there's a handful of artists and donut shops that have opened up, and and we charge what we have to charge. But I'm not just the the kind of guy that's trying to make money. Uh, we all try to make money in business, but the staff we try to pay the staff a living wage. We give them Good. health benefits. We give them two weeks vacation. Good. Very rare for small companies like ours to be able to do these things. And we pay them, like I said, we try to pay them a living wage as well. And so when people look at the cost of donuts with us, they're going to be a little bit more on the expensive side, but there's a lot more to it. We keep the farmers in business that are around us locally by buying buying the wheat, by buying the honey. You know, that honey, I was telling you, we buy 15 gallons of it. You know, it's 250 bucks for a five, for a five uh, gallon pail. So, you know, it's $750 every week just for honey. So everything that we do is fresh, local and organic. Quality. So I'm keeping, you know, my father had the philosophy, buy local, and, and, and these guys are going to keep you in business. And, and I always try to adhere to that. We buy local, we buy fresh, and we treat our staff with the, with the best care and respect that we can. That's why I have people work for me for 20 years. It's unheard of in the food business to keep people working for you 20 years, but they stay because I pay them a living wage. But, you know, but you know Paul, you learn a valuable lesson from your father, and I can hear it in your voice. It's filotimo. Yes. And that's, I've said this many times. You just said it yourself right now. Support the locals. Funny how our parents who came over <clears throat> and didn't really know anything, how knowledgeable they were and how smart they were. You can say you go to Wharton Business School or whatever, and you just said it right now. You treat a living wage. You treat them like humans. You give good quality. You said, yeah, we may charge a little more, but look what you're eating. And it's, it's, it's circumventing in the community. And I've used this word before, and I always tell people, what separates, especially Greeks, from anybody in the world? And I always use one word, and you just gave us an example of it, philotimo. 
That's it. That's all it takes. You know, and with Filotimo, uh, you're better than I am. With Filotimo. Filotimo. With that comes quality all around. It's quality in the way you treat the people, quality in the ingredients that you use, and quality respect for the customers that you have coming in the door. My father would always say that donuts are love. And I'd say, why do you say that, Dad? And he Bravo. Said, because he says, you've got to treat your customers like they're family. When they're coming in the door, you need to love your customers. You need to treat them with love. And you need to love what you're doing. If you love what you're doing, he said it's going to translate translate out into the customers when they go to eat the product. 100%. And, 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 and it's worked for us. It's been a winning formula. And the same thing, I carried that through when I had the restaurant. We were so busy years ago when I had those. Crazy busy. And and it's just the guy with the fourth grade education that came from war-torn Europe instilled that in as a It's amazing. Isn't that amazing? And I always tell people this, and it's amazing to me because at everybody, we verbalize it, yep. but few people execute it. And I think uh, our, and this is why I think the thing is, and you know, Paul, it's a template. I think we've all of us have learned this from our parents. It doesn't matter what you do. You know, what my dad said to me when he was before he passed away. He goes, "You want to be a comedian? Be a comedian, but be a good one." Like. Don't be on my lock. What he meant was, I don't mind that you make fun of me or make fun of yourself. Just do it good. Like, don't be a garagiozzi, you know? Like, what he meant was, and I think all of us have that instilled in us. Whatever you do in your life, and I've said this to people many times, whether it's in the food business, whether you're uh, in the health business, whether you're uh, a civil servant, whether you're whatever, a comic, whatever actor, it doesn't matter. Don't be, uh, you know, do it 100% with your heart and love what you do. It's so true because they, they had no choice and that's why they were successful. Yep. And I think it's a Greek thing. I will say it's a Greek thing because people will come up to me going, what is it about you Greeks? How do you look at us? We're connecting online. I'm in the West coast. You're in the East coast. We're talking about things. Once I don't remember the last time I talked to you, Paul, we pick up right now. I'm having a conversation with you, Ari and Forti and people think cause we're on camera. no, I would talk to you the same way now as I would talk to you when I see you live in person. True I or think false? You Angelo, that's hundred percent true because Angelo is hundred percent genuine. I this is one thing that I will always stand up for. I literally every time I look at Facebook, it's Angelo wishing every single Greek on the face of the planet a happy birthday, and I'm like, this Still is amazing. It. <laughs> yeah. it's true. But when's the last time we saw each other? Was it down in New Jersey? I I want to say Paul. Uh, yes, it was. Forty was there too. It was. It was, it was the festival no, in uh, two thousand and thirteen. Yeah. Was it two thousand thirteen? Yeah, about seven years ago now. Okay, so and we were in West. I think it was uh, Westfield. 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 Yeah. And 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 you know what's funny about that? And Ari, you weren't with us that day that we were down there, but I never saw a Greek festival that there weren't Greeks cooking all the food. They hired restaurants to come yeah. in and do all the food. Yeah. I, these people were, you know, God bless them. They were affluent. They worked hard. They were Wall Street people. You know, they were, they were doctors, lawyers. They did not do any of the food themselves. Angelo and I are sitting there with food. We were laughing. Yeah. We were laughing. We're having a bite to eat. I'm like, where's Yaya? I want Yaya's domadas. I want, you know, and none of that. None of that. You know, well, you, know, you know, Paul, here in uh, L.A., at St. Sophia at my church, they do a, a, a Easter picnic, and they do it at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena on the park grounds. Yeah. So you have some of the volunteers from the church 
but the bulk of their the, t- the food tents are Armenians and Mexicans. So my wife's Armenian. She goes, "We're the Greeks." I go, "Managing the money." Yeah. They would, and they go cook. So I made a joke about it. I said, "Hey, look at this, man. We're at the Greek festival, and you got the Armenians <laughs> and the Mexicans." And they got mad at me. Uh, Why would you say that? Because it's true, Angelo. <laughs> you just burst in a bubble. I had visions of Rita, of Rita Wilson standing behind the register and, and giving me glicar out, and Tom Hanks over there with the, the not the, happening. Putting a kumada of pastizo in somebody's plate. Look, look <laughs> Tom and really bless them. Tom and Rita will show up because they're good friends with Father John. They'll come. They, they go to we go to the same church, but they're mega celebrities. They can they come for about half an hour, and and true to their word, they they always come. Uh, whenever if Tom's not shooting a film, they'll come to the church. Uh, Nia Vardalos, uh, Tom and Rita, John Stamos, all those guys come. Jim Janopoulos, all those oh, guys, the bigwigs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, and, and they come there. But, you know, they stay for a bit and leave because everybody's trying to pass them a script or an idea, right? You can't. Yeah. It's very hard, guys. I mean, I, I don't blame them on that. But they're there. They support. They have the Tom and Rita Wilson Center. They support. They gave all the money for there. But it's, but it's, it's funny because in Canada – I remember the volunteers were everybody from the church. So your Theo, your Yaya, Yaya would be working, making lukumadas and making Greek coffees. There's always the guys drinking beer with the suvla going for the lamb. You know, those guys that get hammered all day yeah. and, you know, with the lamb. And then you have the people preparing. So it was, a, it, was a, it was a community. But I think, I think, and again, I'm not, I'm not crapping on a new generation, but I think now there's less interest uh, for these festivals, everybody loves the festival. So everybody right. loves the food, but nobody wants to volunteer anymore. So right. Those days are so gone. I, am I right about that? I yeah. Think, yeah. And, 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 and Paul made a good point. Think, Paul, how much? How many millions of dollars did Greek communities, especially in America and around the world, lose on Greek festivals? Everybody I talk to loves the Greek festivals. The Xeni go to them like nonstop. They've lost millions. Oh, yeah. How are they going to recoup their dog? I know they're doing drive-bys, but, you know, it's yeah, not the th- same. That's not the same. You know, it's one thing when you go there and you and you see, like, you know, we have a guy up here. His name's Charlie McCreatus. You know, him and the band, and there's a couple other bands up here, local bands that, you know, the parishioners will follow. And, you know, and, and people like to go, and then they can, you know, get out there on the floor, and they're dancing in a circle, and they're having a great time, and, you know, they're mixing it up, and they're seeing Yair and an uncle or somebody they haven't seen in a long time. And, you know, it, it's these festivals provide community, you know. No, 100%. Because in the busy world that we all live in, you know, that, that feeling of the Sunday dinner and the community and, and getting together, that's been lost. So, they look at these festivals as a reason to come together. And 100%. Now, now with this COVID, uh, you know, you, you're missing that little aspect of being able to see the long lost uncle or the aunt or, you know, or, or somebody else from the family. It's, it's difficult. It really is difficult. Um, this hasn't been an easy situation for anybody. No, yeah, I agree. You know, I, I, sorry, Ari, go ahead. I was just going to say like uh, the Greek community as a whole is, uh, is, is gonna, you know, Pre-COVID and post-COVID, the Greek community is shrinking. It's just, it's a matter of fact, and it's like... It's true. Churches have been suffering. Um, you know, it's not like it used to be. It, it's it, Things change, man. The, the numbers drop. Uh, you know, well, internet, social media gives you access to, like, everybody all over the world. Like, when I was young, what'd you say, Fati? 
you know, to your point, you're right. You were saying when you were young, you're gonna. I was gonna just feed off of what you're gonna say. Yeah. So when we were young, if you met a girl somewhere, you'd have to go out to a Greek festival or a Greek night or whatever to see her again. If you heard a song that you liked, a Greek song, you have no access to Greek music. You got to go out to a club or a festival yeah. somewhere to listen to this. Now you you see a girl you like in five minutes. You got her on uh on Instagram and on on TikTok or whatever. Uh, you hear a song in, in 10 seconds, you have access to that song. It's like there's no urgency to get out there and be a community like it used to. And it goes beyond just the fact that there's less Greeks. It go, it's just it's just weird shift in how well, we are as a society. And I don't know how we can fix it. And I don't know if it's fixable at all. If I can add to what Ari's saying real quickly, oh. the, the, the biggest thing too is us growing up in our generation was that when I grew up in my neighborhood, I had 10 Greek friends that I hung out with all the time, right? So those 10 Greek friends, we went to school together, went to Goya together, we played soccer together, we went to Greek together. Now, we'll fast forward, I'll take my example, my kids, there's not one Greek in my neighborhood. My kids don't have Greek friends. So I think that evolution of us as Greek Americans, Greek Canadians, or Greeks from the diaspora, you know, if our children aren't subject to hanging out with other Greek children as well, that's the, the beginning of the dilution of our culture, in my opinion. Now, I, I give it three generations, and there really isn't much of a Greek culture anymore. No, I agree. I mean, it's, it's, it's something that we... Uh, sorry, go ahead, Paul. I cut you off. What I was going to say is this is the homogenization that America is. Whether you're in Canada or whether you're here in the United yeah. States or whether you're yeah. down in Mexico, there's a homogenization, a homogenization effect that takes place. And in, in, in it's the same thing that happened back in ancient Greece, ancient Rome. When you get people from other societies that come in, you you tend to absorb them. You bring their ideas in. You know, I was watching the the, the Food Channel the other night, and there was a uh, guy out in like I want to say it was in Washington, and the guy's got the best pizza they're saying out in Washington State. The guy was Irish, and he was he was interpreting pizza the way he interprets it, but he was also taking things that he learned that were Italian and he was, he was doing things in a brick oven, but he was also smoking bacon himself, taking the whole bacon, brining it, curing it for three days and then smoking it, slicing it, making and making his pizza like a meat lovers kind of a pizza. My, my point is, yeah, we're going to homogenize and, and, and we're going to become part of the whole culture and society as a whole. And there'll be very little difference. And then that will translate into us having to go back to Greece if we want to see it. But I can touch on one thing that I know that in the United States and Canada, we can attribute 60% of the food business to the Greeks that came here over 100 years ago. 100%. If you look at Archer Daniel Midland and soybeans in the United States, they had an old Greek doctor with the old leather handbag back in San Francisco, and there was a, there was a group of Japanese fishermen, and they thought they had a plague. And they, they said, send the dirty old Greek out on the boat to take care of those guys because they were sick. He goes out there. They got no way to pay him. They give him two bags of soybeans for payment. That was the founder of Archer Daniel Midland. No kidding. Biggest conglomerates in the United States, if not the world now. Soybean. Greek. Of course. You got to look at all of it this way. And you wouldn't think of it with a name like Archer Daniel Midland, right? Would you? ADM? You wouldn't think of that being a Greek company. So back then, that family got homogenized into the American way of life, got into the global way. So it, it stands to reason. This happens with everybody. This is what makes North America great. 
When you see people in Europe right now and they're having to deal with the refugees that are coming in from the Middle East, those people that are refugees, and I don't care what their religious background is, they won't stand a chance in Europe. And the reason why is because in Europe, you've got the same guy that was a baker or a butcher that his family was in the bakery business or a butcher or he was a barber or whatever for three, four hundred years. And this just gets the, the, the profession gets handed down from one generation to another. You do what your father did, you know, and you, you do what your grandfather, your grandfather did. And that stuff keeps getting handed down. There's no way to homogenize. But America is a society, whether it's U.S. or Canada or Mexico, they built their societies that are built on the homogenization. And that's what makes these societies prosper and become great. You are well, going to lose the culture, but the culture is going to become part of the American fabric. Or like anything that mixes, Paul, I agree, is part of that fabric. And that's why I think it's going to happen. Like uh, my daughter is half Armenian, half Greek. So we kind of talk a little bit to her, but I have nobody to talk Greek to in L.A. barely, let alone her trying to do it. You know, that, that you need that family unit. Yeah. But it's, it's interesting that you brought up the soybeans, Paul, because last year, I watched the film. It was the Greek selection to the Academy Awards. Did you hear about this film when Tomatoes met Wagner? No. Okay, you got to watch it. It's a, it's a small town. <clears throat> During the crisis in Greece, it was a small Horior town that was devastated by the economy. But the one thing they could grow was tomatoes. These crazy Greeks would grow the tomatoes and play Wagner, classical music, Wagner, to the Domates. Wagner. Wagner. And then they... And then the the tomatoes were coming. This is crazy, but it's a documentary called "When Tomatoes Met Wagner." The domates were coming bigger and riper than anywhere they've seen in the world. They were jarring them and canning them. I don't know if you heard about this. <clears throat> and they were jarring them and selling them in Europe and Sweden. And there was such a demand for them that they couldn't keep up to it. And I thought, even in Greece, and I'd love to talk to the. I want to get the director of that film on our show one day. So why it was fascinating to me that the, all these women in the village that weren't working, they were jarring them. Then they had to, they had to learn about labeling and marketing because they didn't know. But the domate, where they put them whole in the jars and send them, and they had chefs from around the world going, they'd never had a tomato taste that good. Mm. And then in the same way Paul just described the man who went on the boat to help them the game soybeans, and the guy started. Isn't it something that? You, you 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 can't start a fire without a spark, Bruce Springsteen. Correct, but right, but at the same yeah. time, it's like how does defunct of like defunct Horio in Greece finds a way, and then they it breeds light into the village. So it's really a story about humanity. And to me, those are the stories that need to be told. But these tomatoes, people, they had chefs like in London, Hong Kong, New York, going. We don't. We don't. Never had tomatoes like this from this little village. So if you get a chance, it's called When Tomatoes Met That's Wagner. Awesome. And they thought the guy. The guy's crazy in Greece. He goes, uh, so this guy was playing classical music in, at night so the tomatoes could hear it. There's, 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 no, no, there's science. There's backing for that. Uh, we won't get into it now, obviously, but I, I have heard of the science behind it. It's true. It's true. And the guy said, but think about it. These guys are in the middle of a small village town in Greece. And they were able out of uh, very, you know, the economy was bad in Greece. They bankrupt. They were in debt. 
and they still manage to find a way to support themselves. That's awesome. And that, to me, defies it. That, and I hope, the one thing I wish and I hope is that the next generation and generations after carry that type of entrepreneurship that Greeks have, especially, that they're going to say, you know what, uh, let's do this or let's do that. Whenever I hear stuff like that, I'm never that surprised. Because even when Nelson Mandela, and he, the man just passed, uh, 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 Bezos, the guy that was his lawyer, uh, George Bezos. You know, Mandela was in prison for 28 years. George Bezos was a South African human rights lawyer. When he came out of jail, I met him because I performed at his auditorium in Johannesburg. And the night I performed there, I go, George Bezos, who I studied in school, I go, I like to meet him. And somebody in the crowd goes, he's in the front row with his daughter. And I said, please don't leave. I want to meet you after the show. I'm on stage in front of 1,200 people. And I went. And he goes, it's too bad uh, Nelson Mandela's in London. I take it to his house. Like, he was going to take me, El Sospiti, to the Puma Cafe. Because that's how much it was. And Mandela, who kind of came out of prison and torched South Africa, uh, the way they treated black people and stuff, he didn't. But he didn't even trust his own people. He said when the, when the accord was written in The Hague, when de Klerk gave the country back, he wanted Bezos, the human rights lawyer. He goes, he only trusted Je- uh, George Bezos to do this, which I thought was brilliant. And these are the stories that we need to tell, you know. Yeah. And that's why. I'm, and, and, and Paul made some good points talking about, and I, I, and I see it. It's, it's, a, it's another story uh, that we've all heard and seen. And, and I think we need we need to share these stories. And the problem is, you, and that's where I agree with you, Ari. Through technology, we can let people know about these things. Otherwise, we're nobody's going to be talking about these. Things. But yeah. before we go, before we go, Paul, tell us what are you up to? Are you doing some kind of show? Am I wrong or right about this? Are you doing a show in Boston locally? Uh, food show? Is that right? So what I've been doing is um, I'm working um, with a fellow by the name of Jason Faulkner, and he's got a, a site. It's called Old Dirty Boston. And he's awesome focused, pictures, man. Awesome pictures on that site. Yeah, yeah, Jason does a great job. He's focusing on, on the, the history, basically, of Old Boston. Um, Scully Square, for example, was a place where they used to have all the ladies of the night, and there'd be a lot of sailors going there. And so, so he'll post, like, pictures of that kind of stuff. And, and he gets it when it's like really gritty. Um, you know, he, he's uh, friends with a couple of the guys that I know, you know, like Tony V and Lenny Clark and, and those guys. Right, right, right. So, you know, and, and they're good friends as well. Um, and, and I know those guys too. And so like, you know, occasionally we'll all sit and chat or whatever. But, you know, the other thing that he said to me, he says, Paul, with the COVID, he said, would you give me a hand? Uh, you know, I want to go out to some of these restaurants in the inner city. And I said, sure. So we go to, like, there's a section of Boston that's predominantly African-American restaurants. You know, families have been there. It's called Dorchester. And we went around to different uh, places over there. We went to another neighborhood. It's all uh, Spanish. Actually, it's a neighborhood where my father uh, used to have his diner way back in the 1950s. It's called Chelsea. Um, So we went to those couple of different neighborhoods. And this past week, we went to Chinatown. So what we're trying to do is go to the inner city restaurants and breathe, uh, breathe a little bit of light and kind of, you know, give them a little notoriety so that people won't be afraid to go into the cities and dine Bravo. That's in, good. Some of these, in some of these ethnic neighborhoods. And, you know, and, and especially like in the African-American communities, you know, they, the, the white people are afraid to go there. You know, oh, geez, I'm going to, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get shot. I'm going to get killed. I'm going to get this, I'm going to that. I went in the back room of Vaughn's fish, you know, fried fish. And, and you know what? 
the sweetest people in the world. The mother, the son. Yeah, people. Way. They embraced me. You know, they were giving me hugs and kisses. The mother, she was just a wonderful woman. They put out, I wish you were here because you would have loved this. From the food. Yeah, yeah. They had yeah, yeah. five haddock chunks. They did a haddock sandwich. Mm, sounds good. Flesh fish. Like, I don't know if people out in California might not know what it is, but it's beautiful. It's, it's like, it's just delicate. It's sweet. And this kid was making a fried fish sandwich, big filet, probably about maybe 10 inches long and probably weighed a good 12 ounces. Six wow. bucks. Six bucks. Jeez. And I'm sitting there saying, and you know, I went in there and we spent like, like $50 uh, for food. And I walked out of there with, you know, the, uh, the crates that you see the tomatoes come in, the cardboard container, yeah, yeah, yeah. case of tomatoes filled from the bottom to the top with just seafood for 50 bucks. And I was like, if I went to any other fish place around, that'd be about $120. Easy. These people were like, just, I mean, they were so warm and friendly. And I'm just trying to help them. You know, I'm doing this out of the kindness of my heart because I feel bad. COVID really whacked these people in the end. It's in a bad, bad way. You know, and, and trying to do my part as a good citizen to try to see if I can help bring a little bit of, you know, notoriety to them. Good. And use the little bit of uh, local notoriety that I have to try to translate that into into helping these people in different neighborhoods. Now, Paul, is there a restaurant in East Boston neighborhood called Fiori's? North End. Fiori's in the North, North End. End right? North End. I, it's, it's in a neighborhood, though. Yeah. yeah I went North once. End, yeah. I can't remember who I went with. They took me there for. That already. I can't remember. Was it, you, it was you, Forty, that took me, right? It was you guys that took me. We took you there after we went to, and then we went to go smoke cigars at Cigar Masters. That you guys took me. That's right. I'm trying. I'm trying uh, now that Paul was talking, it came back to me. And and and, and I, I think it's very uh, cool that you guys are doing that, Paul. And you know, it's breaking barriers down yeah. and showing people that you can go to these places, and that's wonderful. You know, and so when you, come, when you come back to Boston, we're going to go to a place called Reno's in East Boston. I'm in. You don't have to say it twice. I'm this in. guy, this guy makes homemade lobster ravioli. You'll Ugh. never be able to finish the dish. He gives you so much. You'll never be able to finish. Oh, it. If I tell my wife homemade lobster ravioli, she's gonna go crazy now. It's absolutely delicious. Well, look, book Paul, your flight, Angelo. Book your flight. Book my flight. Well, look, man, we we've gone a bit over today, but it was it was a great show. Listen, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna. I want you. I was just a, gonna ask you. I'm gonna be a little bit of a. A little no, bit. I was going to ask you, plug right here. Let's, what are we plugging? Right here. At the Greek table, contemporary guy. twists on traditional fare, recipes by Paul Delios, pairings by Fortio Stamos. So we're both on here. Where yeah. can people get this book? Amazon. Amazon. Okay. Available on Amazon. So go to Amazon. Now, uh, tell us Kane's Donuts. Where the, it's, is it Saugus? Kane's Donuts is located three locations. Okay. Uh, located at 120 Lincoln Avenue. That's the original 65 year old. Uh, okay. Route 1 in Saugus, which is about three miles away from the original. Okay. And if you're in downtown Boston, you can go to International Place, 90 Oliver Street, and we're located there as well. Small little outpost there. Great. Uh, and that's the place where the folks next door order the donuts for delivery. For delivery. <laughs> and is there any other well, – how about your social media handles, Paul? What are your social media handles that people get hold of you at if they want to send you messages or anything? Um, just, you know what, uh, you can send them to – Send them to me. If they want to get a hold of me, just send, mail, email me at paul at canesdonuts.com. There you go, paul at canesdonuts.com. And so when I come back to Boston, Paul, I'm going to hold you to this. We're going for the lobster ravioli. 
Oh. And I'm and I'm bringing back a coffee cake to LA. That's no problem. That'd be a problem. Is that a problem? Are we going to be okay hey, with that? Yeah, I just, you know what I, you know, recently I just want to touch on this because, you know, the donuts, we've been doing them for 65 years. Well, 10 years ago, we had a little kid come in the uh, shop and she was crying. She couldn't eat a donut. So my sister said to me, she says, you got to do something about this. I've come up with gluten-free donuts, unlike anybody else's. Oh, wow. And now it went from just making a couple donuts a day to now probably represents about 10% of our business, and I make 12 different varieties. Well, good for you. That's and great. We're, ship, we're shipping those out. because So gluten-free. Well. So yeah. we got the regular gluten-free. Paul at canesdonuts.com. Check out the book at the Greek table. We can get that on Amazon with Paul and our very own Forti, who collaborated on this great book. I've heard nothing but good things about it. And I have a copy. I do have a copy of it because you gave it to me. I think and I sent you one of the original prototypes. The ori- I got one of the original ones. You even signed it for me. Mm-hmm. So I have that one. <laughs> and uh, we just want to say, Paul, uh, we want to thank you for coming on the show today. It was a great show. Thank you for I that. I think we had, we, we had a great conversation today. And that's what it's about. And uh, I really look uh, forward to seeing you next time I'm in Boston. You better make that soon. Sooner than later, for sure. <laughs> All right, right. guys. Thank you all all so much. Thanks, everybody, for listening, watching. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Angelo. Thank you, everyone. Love you, guys. We will talk next week. Love you, too, guys. Great show Uh, today. Great show. And uh, stay tuned tomorrow for the video and for the podcast. And we will see you guys all next week. Thank you. All righty. Have a great day. Bye, guys. Bye-bye.